At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And we're coming at this with a distinctly inquisitive flavor in the intro today. Yeah, that was different than you've ever done it before. (laughs) I know. It's pretty much identical every single time. And, you know, sometimes change is good. Sometimes over a hundred a radical moment of revisitation of previously held beliefs is the best thing you can do for yourself and your art. So that's very true, but also you did it the same way for over a hundred and thirty episodes. So imagine my surprise. <laughs> Listen, I gotta do something to keep this dynamic alive. I gotta do something to keep this fresh and to consistently interject new life into our co-host relationship so keep it fresh um, keep it funky doing this for you baby oh thank you (laughs) keep it fresh keep it funky that's right i don't know what's happening i don't know where i am it looks like my house but (laughs) this is not my beautiful house this is not my beautiful podcast this is not my wife (laughs) um we spent several minutes before we did that intro just talking about Junji Ito, so I feel like Uh, maybe sort of there was a brain spiral at work Please don't say spiral immediately after you say Junji Ito. It's not okay. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. I will attempt to refrain in the future, but who knows? I might be trapped now. Real talk, uh, my Junji Ito fans know uh, Uzumaki adaptation coming to Adult Swim later this year. That's what's up. Very exciting. Uh, Hope it's much better than the previous anime adaptation of Junji Ito's work, the Junji Ito collection, which was a real bummer and I didn't like it. (laughs) The problem is you have to get the art style just right because so much of his work comes from the intricacies of the art. And if the art style is too smoothed out like they did when they animated the Junji Ito collection, it it takes away so much of the impact of the imagery. The impact is gone. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. This isn't a manga podcast. It could be. I, it could be. It could be. <laughs> I feel like you and I read very different manga. We really, really do. I read either horror or like romance for 12-year-olds. Yeah, all of which is valid. Like that's my manga. I read shoujo with a target audience of middle schoolers or I read. Honestly, listen. Or I read horror. That's fair. I, I am very much into like extremely earnest shonen manga. So that's kind of my vibe. Honestly, I do enjoy that as well. But also, yeah, it's either... um. <laughs> it's either Higurashi when they cry or it's uh, or it's or on high school host club there is no in between I ordered you and Val a bunch of haiku stickers by the way and I'm gonna send them to you oh and thank you that. and nobody who listens to this podcast needed to know that <laughs> it's okay Val can cut it out if they want <laughs> or leave it in I want people to know that I love my friends that's fair and you love your volleyball anime <laughs> I really do. So speaking of special interests, oh, thank you. I've talked about I've talked about my visual novel obsession on this podcast a lot before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just want to go ahead and give credit to the fact that uh, my choice of cryptid for this week, my choice of creature for this week comes from a visual novel that I just spent a lot of hours playing. So um, I bought, uh, it's closed now, but uh, on Itch.io, a bunch of indie game developers donated their work to something called the Bundle for Racial Justice and Equality which Mm -hmm. donated all of its proceeds to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and to the Community Bail Fund Split 50-50. I wanted to give a quick shout out to that because it was a really cool project and these developers were really awesome to donate their work. It was really awesome. And it's an enormous bundle. It raised over $8 million. But one of the games that I ended up getting in that bundle uh, is a, a visual novel called Changeling. And Changeling is, it's, it's about like fairy folklore, as you might imagine. And, and like, that's, I'm not talking about Changelings today, okay. so that's like not the spoiler. But one of the love interests, one of the romanceable characters in Changeling, his, his name is Yoen in the, in the game. And he is one of the creatures that I am about to talk about today, uh, which is 
the Dullahan. Ooh, okay. So you're familiar? Um, only in passing. Okay. So I told Alex before we started recording that I had chomped a bit of her regional flavor today because normally you you handle Irish mm-hmm. creatures. Um, I do also have Irish heritage, so I've always grown up reading about them as well. Uh, I just, you know, tend to not do as deep of dives. But I was so interested. I didn't really know about the Dullahan until I was playing <laughs> Mm-hmm. playing this fantasy mystery romance game for teenagers. Uh, and I was intrigued by his character because, like, uh, they do a modern take on the Dullahan. The Dullahan is uh, a fairy. Uh, they're fae. They're the unseelie court. Mm-hmm. And they are, uh, simply put, headless riders. They are, it, it is a creature or a humanoid creature, a fae, that uh, rides a steed, a coach, a horse, um, with while carrying its its own head. They can be male, they can be female, they can, I'm sure, be non-binary. Uh, <laughs> I don't know Dullahan personally. I haven't asked. I dare you to try and stop the Dullahan. I mean, I would never, absolutely, I would never dare. But specifically in, in Changeling, which I won't talk about too much more because, you know, spoilies and also just no one wanted to hear me talk about this dating, this romance, fantasy, mystery romance game that I played for six hours. Um, I I haven't unlocked all the roots yet. I'm not done. But <laughs> the Dullahan character in the game is uh, he rides a motorcycle. So he's a rider. Like a, That's like their modernization of the headless mm-hmm. rider. Um, he's like a hot motorcycle boy who whose head comes off sometimes. Um, I mean, that sounds maybe like the ideal person. <laughs> it's the ideal boyfriend. It's the yeah. ideal boyfriend. <laughs> so... The actual legend of the Dullahan is a lot less whimsical, a lot more serious, a lot scarier. Uh, I'll slap some content warnings on this episode because we're about to get a little spooky. I'm going to hop right in. Do it. Uh, I'll stop. I'll start first with uh, a little blog entry from edmooneyphoto.wordpress.com. I found basically this is one of those that you're going to get a lot of variations on the same kind of information. But I did. Th- mm-hmm. I find enough kind of different stuff that I think I have enough to kind of give us some fun stuff to talk about. I will just go ahead and read kind of directly from um, Ed Mooney's uh, blog entry here before I hop to my next source. Yeah. By the way, this is an award, this is an award-winning blog. This blog won uh, a 2013 Ireland blog award. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Just so uh, I vet my sources. No, um, anyway, now for a more sinister tale from Irish lore. The Dullahan is the original headless horseman on which the character from the 1820s tale, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, may be based. I'm going to get to that later. There's some debate, but there's also it's also quite possible. The Dullahan is said to be a dark fairy, a collector of souls, who roams the countryside at midnight in search of suitable souls to take. People say that he is dressed in a long black cloak. The Dullahan has no head on his shoulders and is usually seen riding a large black horse and carrying his head under one arm. Little is known as to why this monster carries his head under his arm, or how, in fact, he became separated from it. But the head's eyes are said to be huge, which constantly dart about like fireflies, and it has a mouth full of hideous, razor-sharp teeth. Because of its supernatural powers, when the head is raised up into the air, it is able to see great distances, even on the darkest night. Its charger is said to have flaming red eyes. The Dullahan carries a whip, which is said to be made from a human spine. Oh! <laughs> when the Dullahan stops riding, a person will inevitably die. Basically, um, it's 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 a lot of the time the Dullahan is talked about in uh, like overlap with the Banshee, uh, in terms of it's a, it's a harbinger of death. I did um, know that. That's kind of the yeah. the general working knowledge I had. The big yeah. difference. The big differences between the Dullahan and the Banshee are as kind of there's a couple. One of which is that, of course, as we've mentioned in our Banshee episode, uh, the Banshee only weeps for the five major, five of the major families of Ireland. Correct? Isn't it five? Yes. That's what I could find. The Dullahan can come for absolutely anyone. (laughs) It could be you. If that sounds like a threat, it is. Um, It also is much less, uh, the, the Banshee is much more... Like, she's neutral to good, it'd say is her alignment. Like, neutral to good is hers. Mm -hmm. Like, at the very worst, she's just, she's a harbinger of bad news who has no, like, control over it. At the very best, she's heartbroken by the news she has to deliver. The Dullahan just kind of uh, is neutral to evil. Uh So there's a lot of debate, and, and it's not quite certain whether it's taking souls that were already going to die, or if it's literally looking for a person, like, to take. There's mm-hmm. some kind of differing 
takes on that. So whereas the Banshee is neutral to good, the Dulhalan or the Dulahan is uh, the Dulahan is neutral to evil. <laughs> it's either just like the Grim Reaper on on horseback, or it's like literally hunting <laughs> for souls. Um, I will also say I found this in a couple sources. There's not an exact definition for why it's headless, but something I found is that in ancient, like in older Celtic lore, the soul was thought to be in the head. Oh, neat. So I guess so. The idea is that the soul has been separated from the body, but also it still has, like, it's carrying its soul with it, essentially. That's so interesting. Yeah. As a fun sidebar, I um, I remember reading an article once when I was much younger. I think it was, I think it was, like, in Muse Magazine. I used to be a Muse Magazine fanatic. I love <laughs> Muse Magazine. I don't know if anybody else ever read it. I didn't, but I love it for you. Uh, yeah, I was a big fan. But I there was, like, a really cool article in it. There were cool articles in it all the time. That was the entire that was the entirety of the magazine. That was the whole purpose of its publication was to have really cool articles for nerdy kids about hyper specific topics. Aww. But um, one of them one time was about like different cultures and where they believed the soul resided because yes, um, we sort of nowadays tend to at least from a Western perspective. Um, tend to have a concept of the soul as being, like, attached to the heart mm -hmm. or the mind. But that's not, like, ubiquitous. No. That's not universally true. And I'm trying to remember, there was, like, and I, I don't want to just, like, throw random cultures and organs out trying to match no, yeah, in my course. memory. But there was some ancient culture, I don't know if it was, like, Sumerian, maybe, where they believed the soul was in, like, the spleen? <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I love that. Which I only point out as odd just because, like, I've never heard anything like that. I, we've never thought in, like, the cultural frame that I was raised in. Mm -hmm. There's been nothing to associate the soul with any organ other than, like, sort of generically, like, oh, your heart or your yeah. mind. Like, the idea of having the soul tied to such a specific body part is so fascinating to me. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be able to speak to where it is. I just know that, like... I think there definitely is, like, in, depending on where you are, like, an association with, like, the stomach. But I don't think it's a specific organ. It's just, like, that region <laughs> is, like, mm -hmm. where your life force or your yeah, soul exactly. is. But, yeah, um, a couple places that I read. And, again, there's a lot of overlap between my sources. So I don't think I have the actual specific source that said this up. But a couple of the ones that I read said that um, uh, specifically in, like, Celtic tradition, the belief was that the soul was in the head. Mm-hmm. And this, and this makes sense by the way, pops up in other cultures as well. In, uh, I want to say, I I'll get to it in a little bit, uh, so I'm paraphrasing right now, but I believe in um, some Nordic folklore, uh, they would literally like behead bodies of, of, of people that they thought might come back as vengeful spirits because separating the head from the body would weaken the ghost. Mm. Anyway... <laughs> Yeah, basically, the Dullahan rides with its head and it lifts its head up. The head speaks very rarely, but when it does speak, it speaks the name of the person who is about to die. Oh, um, that's intense. It's really intense. <laughs> and once it's called the name, then the soul, the, Dul the Dullahan has cap captures the soul of the person and then they obviously die. Um now, it says right here, most cases reported involved a victim of ill health who was already on death's door, but there have been occurrences of souls being taken from an otherwise healthy victim. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> okay, damn, okay. Uh, by the way, there it is said there's no way to stop the Dullahan in its work because any gates or locks which stand in its way will open on approach. Oof. So, um... Sorry, very scary. Genuinely quite creepy. And that's where it comes down to, like very big difference in the meaning of that symbolism if you think of it as a neutral thing or of an, as an evil thing. If it's a neutral thing, then it becomes very much this kind of literal, like, this metaphorical, you can't stop death. Death is an inevitability. Mm -hmm. But if it's, like, a more malicious thing, then it, that's much more disturbing. Yeah, totally. Let's see. I'm going to hop over to something different in a second, but really quickly. Uh, you're also not supposed to. Uh, you shouldn't look at it. It doesn't like to be observed. <laughs> I mean, relatable. Yeah, if, if you look at it, it, it does one of two things. If you look at it when it doesn't want to be seen, um, it either <laughs> throws a bucket of blood on you. Sorry. That's not funny. It's not funny, but also... Again, relatable. It's kind of intense, so it does make me laugh. It throws a bucket of blood on you, or it might, like, uh, hit you with its, with its spine whip and take out your eyes. Oh, does it take out your eyes with the whip, or are those two things unrelated? No, no, I think it takes them out with the whip. Wow, that's some precision movement. Yeah, right? It might not physically take out your eye, it might just injure your eye, but 
Either way, mm-hmm. you're in a bad situation. Either way, that aim is incredible. Yeah. And and right here is the Banshee comparison. It says, unlike the Banshee, which is known to warn of a death in certain families, the Dullahan does not come to warn. He is a definite harbinger <laughs> of someone's demise. There is some good news. The Dullahan ain't playing is basically what we get out of that. Yeah, there is some good news. Uh, you can uh, repel the Dullahan with one thing, and this pops up a couple times in some different variations of the story. For some reason, it does not care for gold. <laughs> So if you have gold on you. You can't buy your way out of the Dullahan's whole situation. Yeah, but it doesn't, like, it's so repelled by the gold that it will run the other way. Listen, I respect that. When I see somebody being a capitalist, I also want to get out of there. <laughs> it's fair. It's also interesting because, if I'm not mistaken, like, normally the metal to get rid of a of a, of a of an aggressive fairy would be iron, yeah? Iron, yeah. But, yeah. So there's some variations on the Dullahan as well. In some versions, he does not ride the horse, but rather drives a coach that is pulled by six black horses. That comes up again. I will get to that. Put a pin in that. It's something called the Death Coach, and it is another fixture in Irish mythology. Death Coach for cutie. Alex! That's not even a complete joke. That's just some words, but I do (laughs) stand by it. I kind of like it. Uh, thank you. I'm intrigued by the gold thing. I will I will get to the gold for you. Oh, is there is there more to it? There's not more to the explaining, but there's like a specific like story that is the reason okay. people believe that the gold cool drives it away. Okay. I'll I'll be patient then. Thank you. Be patient, Alex. I won't stay too long on this one, but this is just a place called a website called theirishplace.com slash heritage slash the Dullahan. And this talks a little bit more about its appearance. Okay. And you should know that the head does smell. Okay, like the head is capable of no, using like the head sense of smell exer- or the head exer- is exer- like the stinky. head gives off an odor. Okay. Interesting. What is it smells like rotten cheese. I don't like that. It also smiles. Its mouth is split I into do a like that. terrifying grin as he finds joy in taking the lives of others. Look, at least he's still finding a way to be happy. Damn. So I'm going to read directly from a blog entry from 2012. This is from seeksghosts.blogspot.com. And uh, it's run by someone named Virginia Lampkin. And this was a story That's a of- That's a cute name. Right? And this is a story of basically being told about the Dullahan as a child. Oh, cool. I love that. Yeah. Take me away. A friend of my family told me this story when I was a preteen. Thinking back, I was probably too young to hear it, for I had several vivid nightmares afterward. He asked me what picture I got in my mind when I thought of fairies. I think I told him Tinkerbell or Cinderella's fairy godmother. He told me, well, this story's about a fairy, but not that kind. Oh. I remember this grabbed my attention. This is the story he told me. Please, Irish listeners, please forgive my pronunciation of all of the Gaelic that is about to follow. I'm so sorry. Okay. In Ireland, hundreds of years ago, there was a king by the name of... Now, it looks like Tiger Moss, is it? Is it? <laughs> but I don't believe that's true. It's T-I-G-H-E-R-M-A-S. I refuse to believe it is anything other than Tiger Moss. Please I'm not going to pronounce his name ever again. I'm just going to call him the king. The king believed in a pagan god by the name of, oh no, uh, by the name of C-R-O-M-D-U-B-H. I know B-H is a V sound. So is it like Cromdove? I'm giving you nothing. I just want to hear it's your fine. take on this. I'm going to just say... I'm just going to keep reading it. Anyway, his belief in this god led him to sacrifice humans every year by decapitating them to appease or keep him happy. The practice continued uh, until a point in Ireland when human sacrifice was no longer allowed. Resenting this, it is said that the god took on a human form so he would not be forgotten. To this day, he is considered the most terrifying of all the unseely fairies. Curious or confused, sorry, about the use of the term fairy, I asked why a fairy was scary. So the friend stopped and explained patiently this fairy was a supernatural spirit and a malicious and evil one at that. He is known as, there's a Gaelic, another Gaelic term for, like an older term for it that basically means without head. I'm not going to try to read it because I don't want to butcher mm-hmm. it. But most people call him the Dullahan, which means like the dark man. Because he's got all his like black clothes. He's got a scary cloak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's a fearsome spirit who rides a massive black horse. He's only seen at night, but it's best not to see him. He's headless, but keeps his head near. He either carries it under his arm or thrusts it high in his outstretched hand as he rides his horse. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Although you should know that the horse uh, has been said to shoot uh, fiery flames from its nostrils. 
And that does seem like an important aside, yes. I thought you might want to know. The family friend explained all of the, like, the way that the Dulahan works, how I've already kind of established. It comes into town, it cries out her name, the person dies. So, um, Virginia said, so there's no defense against him? There is one. And it was discovered by accident. This is the story. A man from Galway walking to a friend's house late one night heard the sound of a horse's hooves pounding behind him. He turned to see the spirit and his black steed charging ever closer. He shouted and made a run for it. But as most know, a mere mortal man cannot get away from this dark fairy. And this man had looked upon him. The Dullahan gained on him, and the poor man knew this was the end, but at the next moment his coin pouch worked its way open, and one gold coin fell to the ground. All of a sudden there was a loud roar and a rushing of air above him as he turned to look. He found the Dullahan was gone. So the coin saved him? It was made of gold, and that was what saved him. It seems the Dullahan has an irrational fear of gold. Even a small amount will frighten him off. So each October, during the Irish New Year, Samhain, which brings the beginning of the Celtic winter, Every Irishman carries gold and looks out, or actually looks away, to avoid the Dullahan. And that's that. That's so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. By the way, that specific story as being like a man from Galway dropped a piece of gold and then it was gone, That var- there's a variation on that I found on like at least six different websites, like told slightly differently. So this is definitely oh, like a classic story another one of mine that i found was a little bit more specific it was literally like a man was on his way home between roundstone and Ballyconnolly. it was like and in some versions it's a it's a gold-headed pin in some versions it's his wedding ring but the story of like a man dropping a piece of gold on the road and then the dulahan being gone yeah that's really fascinating i'm trying to think of anything i can sort of come up with as to why that would i don't know and that's the thing is it was hard for me to find i couldn't find an actual explanation of it except every explanation is just the this repels the thing Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay but why and they're like i don't we don't know but it does um which is fair I think it's it's the fact that it's like afraid of the gold that is puzzling to me. Like it's not like it's it's not like it's being wielded as a sign of like authority against the Dullahan or anything. No. It's not like it's a display of wealth that that's like so interesting. Nor is it like an offering that it takes and then leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like I don't like that. I'm out. It's no hmm. good. I mean again, I also don't like people who flaunt their wealth openly, but No, of course. I, don't think I would run away from them. I just find them distasteful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I have here another entry. This is from hushedUpHistory.com. This is Death by Dullahan, the Headless Horror of the Emerald Isle. This is from 2015. And a lot of it is the same, but there is... I don't know why I sang a little song. <laughs> but there is a little thing here. There's a, And this popped up also a lot. There's like only two, if you're looking for like quote unquote site, like official like classic stories of like seeing the, the Dullahan, you only find mm-hmm. two, at least in, I spent a long time looking. Maybe there are more, but I couldn't find them. You'll find the one about the man in Galway with the, with the gold. And then you'll find one that's from... A writer, uh, a storyteller in cam- in County Down, uh, named or from County Down, whose name was W. J. Fitzpatrick, and he once wrote about uh, a claim where he said that he saw it. So here is the exact little bit right here, and this is from not too long ago. I can't find a date on it. This is like one of those things that just gets like shared around and is like this is like the only account of the da da da. But it was a sometime when cars were a thing, so it can't be that long ago. That narrows it down. So, I've seen the Dullahan myself, stopping on the brow of the hill between Bryansford and Moneyscalp late one evening, just as the sun was setting. It was completely headless, but it held up its own head in its hand, and I heard it call out a name. I put my hand across my ears in case the name was my own, so I couldn't hear what it said. When I looked again, it was gone. But shortly afterwards, there was a bad car accident on that very hill, and a young man was killed. It had been his name that the Dullahan was calling. And that's that. So if you just choose not to hear your name, (laughs) does that protect you? I don't know that it does. I think this man was just trying his best. Yeah. As far as I can tell. That's fair. I mean, in fairness, if it didn't work, you wouldn't survive to tell people that it had not worked. Also, by the way, one of the reasons you can't find really many, like, sightings of this thing or like even stories like oh my grandpa saw this or whatever is because part of the story is like if you look at it it's gonna gonna wreck you it's gonna mess you up so Mm -hmm. 
there's versions of it that are like, if you see it, then it, you're going to be the next person it comes for. Or like, there's versions that say that when it throws the bucket of blood on you, that that blood is like marking you as the next person, um, like next person to be taken. Uh, so it's it's not something that there's not a ton and there's not like a wide wealth of specific stories. Yeah. But those two pop up pretty regularly. Most of the time, if you find a website talking about this, one of those two, if not both, is going to be on there. Also, something I enjoy about this particular entry is that it claims that his head glows. Oh. That it glows like a sickly green and he uses it as a lantern to light his way. I mean, that's convenient. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be carrying your head around anyway, I guess you might as well have a use for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Also, if it doesn't, it doesn't have to say your name to mean that you're the next person to die. There are versions of the story that say uh, that if it stops riding outside of a home, then the, someone inside will soon be dead. Ooh. Which is a, lo- a lot more, that's much more of like kind of a banshee thing to me because it's playing a less active part and it's more of like a portent. Yeah, that feels much more like where the overlap probably lies heavily. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I can see where that Venn diagram sort of overlaps. Yeah, because the variation is like, like again, that's it's the neutral side of its like neutral to evil alignment. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah, neutral totally. side is it's just riding on it. He's just not bothering anybody, just a headless fellow riding on his horse through town. And if he stops in front of your house, sorry, bad omen. But yeah, that's from that one. And I'm going to hop over to something very fun is that this particular one, if you want to find the picture, husheduphistory.com, their entry on the Dullahan has a picture of the road where W.J. Fitzpatrick claimed he saw the uh, Dullahan. Oh, nice. It just looks like a cute little Irish country road. It's not like anything you Take me there. You want to go? You want to go to that road? Kind of. It's not that exciting. Honestly, I'm looking at it. It's just like, it's just a road. I know. I just want to go back to Ireland. I do too, buddy. (laughs) To be fair, right now I would like to go anywhere. (laughs) It's fair. Um, Also, really quick, uh, this is one of the sources that says that it's possible that the Dullahan story is what influenced the the Legend of Sleepy Hollow's Headless Horseman as a story. Mm -hmm. It says... uh, is it possible that Irving may have used the Dullahan as one inspiration in crafting his 1820 masterpiece of American literature? Irving's father, William, was born in the island of Shappensay in the Orkney Islands off the coast of the Scottish mainland before he and his wife, Sarah, moved to Manhattan, where young Washington was born. So, one theory believes that the youngest Irving may have been told the story of the Dullahan by his Scottish immigrant parents. Because as we know, there's a lot of folklore cross-pollination between Ireland and Scotland. Totally. Um, While there are many parallels that may lead one to assume that Irving pulled directly from the tale, there has been no definitive proof that he specifically used this Irish tale of horror to haunt American lore for centuries to come. Although it has no confirmed lineage to the printed pages of horror legends, states... What? (laughs) Okay. No, I don't... This sentence isn't a sentence. I'm not going to read it. That was not a sentence. It was like two sentences, but one of them didn't get written. I hate when that happens. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, something I did want to hit on, too, is um, I found an entry on um, place a, a website called The Mask of Reason about the Dullahan. Mm-hmm. And they had a little section where it was talking about kind of modern kind of headless rider stories beyond, like, the Headless Horseman and the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I, I just thought this one was interesting, and, and then I'll hit on some more, like, specifics to the, the Dullahan. But um, it says right here... Uh, in Ohio, a more modern version of the story exists, the Elmore Headless Motorcyclist. In the story, a young man is shipped off to war, typically World War I, and his girlfriend promises to be faithful and true. He is discharged early from the war due, no, due to an injury and returns to the States. He purchases a motorcycle and rides it to his girl's farm, driving all day and into the night to get there, cutting the engine early so he can surprise her. He sneaks up behind her and she screams, covering her mouth with her hand as she realizes who it is. The soldier sees that she has a wedding ring. Furious, he jumps on his bike and rides off into the darkness, gunning the bike as fast as he can go. Angry and breathing at her betrayal, he doesn't see the barbed wire fence marking the edge of the deep creek bed, and he and the bike sail through it, the wire catching him on the neck and decapitating him as he and the bike crash down into the creek. Years later, a bridge is built there, and the ghost of the rider, looking for his head, appears to travel to travelers on the lonely country road leading to the farm. And that one just made, I just think was, I just, it's fun. Very evocative. Yeah. I mean, it's not fun. If it's real, it's not good. But you know what I mean? It's, I like a good ghost story. Yeah, I mean, 100%. 
Why else would we be here? Why else would we be here? I've also seen, and I couldn't find a lot of evidence about this, aside from the fact that they overlap a little bit in terms of, like, the story. But you'll see a lot of the time, if you research the Dullahan, you'll see references to the idea that they, like, work, like, alongside Banshees. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, like, they appear together sometimes. I love that. Yeah, which I do think is interesting. The, The specifics of that come when the Dullahan is not the lone rider on the horse, but rather when he is driving the death coach which uh Mm. that actually gives me an amazing that gives me such a great that gives me such a good segue to talk about the death coach right now (gasps) tell me about the death coach okay so in irish folklore the death coach which is also known by uh gaelic uh words meaning silent coach uh it is a black coach that appears as a harbinger of death if you see it or even hear it then either you or a close relative will die in the near future a uh this is from kev a blog called kevin's ireland okay uh, i'll take it away kevin <laughs> it's kevin's ireland we're all just living in it <laughs> so um the belief is that once the coach has come to the land of the living it cannot return empty hmm. so it's 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 death coming to collect the headless horseman that drives the coach is known as the Dullahan. so the then it describes the Dullahan again but specifically, it is this big black coach, and it is decorated with skulls that take the place of candle holders, and the cover of the coach is made from the shroud of a coffin. When the coach reaches the abode of the person picked by, the, by death, the Dullahan calls out their name, and they die. And then it says specifically that the, the death coach is often accompanied. It's driven by the Dullahan, but it's accompanied by the Banshee flying alongside, wailing out her warning to the families that one of their members is about to die. So, like, if the death coach is coming for a member of one of the families that the Banshee keens for, mm-hmm. then she'll go alongside it as, like, a mourner. Oh, interesting. That's one of the versions of the story. Um, one second, I'll, hurt, I'll hop over and read a little bit more about the death coach. But first, I don't know the source of this, but there's like this little poem by Catherine Tynan Hinkson on this page called The Dead Coach. And I won't read the whole thing because it's a little long-ish, but uh, I just like this little bit, this little first bit. Mm-hmm. At night when sick folk wake full eye, I heard the dead coach passing by and heard it passing wild and fleet. And knew my time was not come yet. Click clack, click clack, the hooves went past. Who takes the dead coach travels fast. On and away through the wild night, the dead must rest ere morning light. If one might follow on its track, the coach and horses midnight black, within should sit a shape of doom that beckons one and all to come. Actually, I am going to read the whole thing. Do it. It's not that long. God pity them tonight who wait to hear the dead coach at their gate, and him who hears though sense be dim, the mournful dead coach stops for him. He shall go down with a still face and mount the steps and take his place. The door be shut, the order said, how fast the pace is with the dead. Click clack, click clack, the hour is chill. The dead coach climbs the distant hill. Now God, the father of us all, wipe thou the widow's tears that fall. That's it. I love that. Isn't that so spooky? I love it so much. Um, but yeah, while I was looking into the Dullahan, obviously I stumbled onto the version of the story that involves the death coach. Um, what is the title of that poem? Um, it was The Dead Coach. It reminds me so much of the Emily Dickinson poem, Because I Could Not Stop for Death. Oh, he kindly stopped for me. Yeah. Yes. Like, there are a lot of similarities in those two texts. There really are. I actually just pulled up the Emily Dickinson poem, in case you're not familiar with it. Um, I'll just go ahead and read it, because it's also No, do it. Short, it's one but... of my favorite. Emily Dickinson is uh, one of my favorite poets. Please read it. Yeah, she's fantastic. But there's a, a really interesting comparison to be made here, I think. So apparently the first published version of this poem was titled The Chariot, but it's typically just known by the first line, which is because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. We slowly drove, he knew no haste, and I had put away my labor and my leisure too for his civility. We passed the school where children played, their lessons scarcely done. We passed the fields of grazing grain, we passed the setting sun. We paused before a house that seemed a swelling of the ground. The roof was scarcely visible, the cornice but a mound. Since then, tis centuries, but each feels shorter than the day I first surmised the horses' heads were toward eternity. 
And that's it. <laughs> but it's a great little I poem. I love Emily Dickinson. And it's really fascinating that it plays with this same imagery of, like, a chariot or carriage literally driven by death. Mm-hmm. And that's something, too, I would say that the... Uh... The versions of the Dulahan story that come alongside the Death Coach are, of course, the ones that are of the more kind of neutral, like, mm-hmm. Grim Reaper sort of Definitely. story. Like, it's not, yeah, it's not doing any evil, but this thing is here to collect the dead, mm-hmm. and it's inevitable, and it comes along with, it still also comes with the bit of lore that's like, no gates or locks will stay, like, in its path will stay closed. Mm. It's an inevitability. I will also hop over now to youriris.com slash folklore slash deathcoachballyduff for a specific story. My Irish. Uh, your Irish. Yeah, specifically about um, a, a story, like a local version of the of the death coach story, like a fo- specific story. So this is one of the most famous stories of it. This one came uh, from a correspondence from Clonmel, who sent it to Mr. T.C. Croker, who included it in his book, Fairy Legend of Legends of Southern Ireland. And I'll read sort of an abridged version. I'll okay, just kind cool. of get to the action of it. But I'll start and then I'll, you'll, you'll get it. Anyway, this is called The Death Coach in Ballyduff. One fine summer afternoon, Michael Noonan was walking into Ballyduff to collect a pair of brogues he had left with the cobbler. Sorry, it's just that part's charming. It is charming. I find that very quaint. His way took him on the towpath alongside the river, past the now derelict Hanlon's Mill. To Michael's surprise, he could hear, as clear as a bell, the sounds of the huntsmen and hounds at full cry, even though he knew this couldn't be true, as the DeHollow Hounds, formed in 1745, they're the oldest continuous hunt hounds in Ireland, were in a totally different area. Fun little fact there for you, I guess. But <laughs> Learned something today. Fear took the place of Michael's surprise when he heard the unmistakable clack-clack of the mill's mechanism working, as it had been deserted years previously. He ran as though the hounds were chasing him all the way into Ballyduff. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Um, so he goes into town, and then he um, uh, ends up taking his friend's horse and cart home because he didn't want to walk at night uh, home back, especially after the creepy stuff he heard. So the moon rose full and bright, clearly lighting the road. Michael knew the horse had a hard day's work, so he drove slowly home. Settling comfortably back in his seat, Michael lazily watched the reflection of the moon in the river, letting the old horse lead the way. Michael sat bolt upright suddenly as the reflection of the moon disappeared. It was a cloudless sky, so where had a cloud come from? What Michael saw next turned his blood to ice. Looking around, he saw a large black coach draw silently alongside him. The coachman and the six coal-like horses were all draped in black. However, as this was not terrifying enough, they were all headless. And then this version, it includes the horses as well. The horses don't have heads either. (laughs) Oh, fun. The, The coach quickly came abreast and passed the frightened Michael. The coachman laying his whip soundlessly across the backs of the horses, disappearing as quickly as it had come into view. Michael, trembling, somehow made it home, settled the horse in the field, and got sleeplessly through the night. The next morning, standing watching the horse, Michael was pondering the previous night's events. Daniel Madden, a huntsman to Mr. Rixton of Ballygibbon, came riding into view at a mad pace. Stepping into the road, Michael waited for Daniel to reach him. "'For the love of God, don't stop me!' gasped the rider." "'Whatever has happened?' Michael asked. Madden was able to gasp out. His master had fallen ill and was close to death's door. He told Michael if he wished to help, he was to run and fetch Kate Finnegan, a midwife. Michael went as fast as he could, but of course he knew it was too late when he realized the death coach had claimed its latest passenger. That's so dramatic. (laughs) I know, and this post was actually last updated May 20th, 2020. Oh, whoa. Very recent. Yeah, very recent. Obviously, the story's older, but, you know. Well, sure. So while I was researching, I came across a really interesting phenomenon, which is that the Dulahan as an image and as like a creature pops up in like Japanese media a lot. Really? It's in video games, anime, and manga, uh, like all over the place for such a niche story. I actually, and then in, in my research, I found this essay. This is an essay by Messiah Shimakuso called An Anime Dulahan, the Irish Death Messenger Adapted in Japanese Popular Culture. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so basically, to summarize, if you you can look it up, by the way, I gave all the information if you want to read the essay in full. But in summary, essentially, it explores the fact that Irish folklore was really in vogue in Japan in like 
the early 20th century, Japanese writers and like academics got really into like Irish folklore and fairy tales and Irish writers. Specifically, they were very into uh, Yeats and into like uh, fairy and folk tales. And basically it became like kind of a like it was like like a highbrow interest to have. And then like it sort of trickled down into uh, it trickled down into the popular culture they enjoyed. I'll read right here. From, I'll read from here. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed works with fantastic or supernatural qualities. In Japan, fantastic literature is called gensu bungaku. Gensu meaning fantastic and bungaku meaning literature in Japanese. On the other hand, the central attribute of the literature of horror and the supernatural is denominated kaiki. So uh, Western Genso and Kaiki literature became recognized as a promising genre for the Japanese publication market in the latter half of the 20th century. Uh, There was no special preference for Irish works initially, and Irishness itself was not regarded as intrinsically attractive. However, Japanese readers and publishers gradually came to recognize that Ireland had produced many writers particularly skillful in dealing with fantastic and supernatural subjects. Against this background, Kimie Umura's translation of Yeats's books on Irish folktales, including the description of the Dullahan, was first published in 1978 and republished by another publisher in 1986. Its appearance closely coincided with the 1980s Celtic boom, which was in fact largely an Irish boom. In this period, anything Irish or Celtic was potentially popular, and many books on Celts, Celtic myths, or cultures were published, along with Japanese translations of Irish or British fantastic writings, now with an emphasis on their Irishness. Among Irish writers' books, the ones that Yeats edited and compiled in his early days became popular because they included fantastic folktales and stressed their Celtic nature. So particularly a popular one was Irish fairy and folktales. And then the person who translated it, the woman I mentioned, uh, Imura, she became an authority on Western fairies in Japan. That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah, through... Through her translations and in the related Celtic literature, the Dullahan was introduced to ordinary Japanese readers, and it got popular. Um, it uh, first popped up in video games. It was through the medium of video games that Dullahans first became widely known in Japan and underwent a distinctive Japanese metamorphosis. So it talks about the 1980s were like the introduction of like uh, video games moving from public to private spaces. In the mid-1980s, creating games for family computers and other video game consoles, Japanese game designers found that Western-style role-playing games with Dungeons & Dragons had commercial potential in Japan. Then they developed a series called Dragon Quest. And so Japanese game artists undertook extensive research to identify monsters suitable for Western role-playing settings. This led them to the headless Irish fairy, the Dullahan, which seldom failed in scaring game players. It's not certain where they first learned about the Dullahan, but as noted above, there was a sizable Celtic literature in Japanese, and the evidence strongly favors the assumption they learned about it directly or indirectly from Yeats. Assuming the source was the passage in Irish fairy and folktales, or something similar, there can be no doubt that the Dullahan underwent an extraordinary cultural metamorphosis in the hands of the video game artists. Uh, in their games, Dullahans are horrible, versatile monsters, not death messengers. They appear in dungeons or elsewhere to frustrate the player's missions. So then I'll, I'll just kind of cover some other places that they pop up in, like, Japanese games and stuff. But they pop up in... Uh, in in Castlevania, in Final Fantasy, in something called Valkyrie Profile, there's uh, a couple pages of this essay that aren't available um, uh, in this particular version. I'm accessing it mm-hmm. through Google Books. Sure. But it pops up, yeah, right, pops up uh, in video games and then made its way into thing into like anime. There's actually a main character in the show. I've never watched it, but Durarara, Durarara. Cool. She is a um, <laughs> Dulahan. I love that. First of all, I know that obviously the politics and dynamics are are very different when you are like drawing from a culture other than yours. And those like what I'm what I'm saying is it's it's not the same thing to have like white people who develop an intense fascination with Japanese culture as it is to have young Japanese people develop an intense fascination with Western culture. They're obviously very different. And I, I don't want to pretend or equivocate the two. But I do think no, it's course. very fun that, like, kind of universally, no matter where it is that you are growing up or, like, what your cultural experience is, there is going to be a point in your life in which you have an intense fascination with the quote-unquote other. Yes, it's true. And, and, I, and I came across that, and it was really exciting to see. And I'd like to find the essay in full. I'd probably, like, I might buy the book mm-hmm. so I can read the essay in full because I really loved, like, 
I really liked learning about that. I had no knowledge of that, but it actually makes a lot of sense in terms of the way that sort of like, particularly like Irish folklore has trickled down mm-hmm. in like Japanese media. Cause, cause there's more than just like, when I was researching, I noticed uh, that there are Dulahan, like if I Google Dulahan in uh-huh. anime, um, I find, oh my God, what's this a picture from? There's literally a picture of like a cute anime girl literally holding her head. Uh, there's a Dulahan in a show called Interviews with Monster Girls. That's an anime. There's the one in the in Durarara, which I just mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, there's... This is delightful, There's a by the way. There's a series called Monster Musume, which features a Dulahan named Lala, who's uh, a main character... Um, there's also the Overlord light novel and anime series have a Dulahan as a uh, Dulahan named Yuri Alpha, and then in the anime Konosuba, one of the Demon King's generals is a Dulahan. So they pop up, like, like not just not like this is just one anime. This is like multiple mainstream. <laughs> I can't believe how much of this episode we've spent talking about anime. I know, but like. It's weird that it, it's weird that it took us full circle. But like when I was joking that this isn't a manga podcast, I had to resist making a comment because I wanted this surprise <laughs> for you. I do appreciate that. It was a it was a fun little but yeah, little cold open that led to this. Just something I was so unprepared for uh, how much it would pop up. Like I I knew it would, like have some mark on pop culture as like the totally, headless yeah. horseman, but like funnily enough, so much of my research ended up referring me to like video games, tabletop, and anime. Well, I think what's cool is obviously we are familiar with the Headless Horseman and that to us kind of seems like the most ubiquitous example. What I like (laughs) is that these other examples of the Dulahan seem to come not from that, but from the Headless Horseman's predecessor being the original Dulahan. I like that it hasn't been like a trickle down from the point that we would naturally assume would be the common progenitor, but that it comes actually Mm -hmm. from like the source material. Yeah, exactly. It's so interesting. And I I just thought that that was really fun. So I have a couple, uh, I tried to find some sightings and I actually did kind of find, I found another regional variant. I found some posts from Reddit like I like to do. I also found, I'm not going to out the forum because I don't want to put any of these people on blast for just having do, doing having fun on the internet. Uh-huh. But I did find a forum where people were discussing uh, wanting to literally like find a Dulahan that they could like potentially like capture. Oh no. Um, that does not seem wise. Yeah, and they had a couple, and it was literally a person asking, well, first it was a person asking about information. This is literally just Artemis Fowl. This is the plot of Artemis Fowl. I know. But specifically, they're asking about, like, if you can find them. They're literally asking, I thought this was a video game forum at first because the person was asking if someone knew a seller, but then I realized they meant, like, a literal one, like a real one. Oh, my God. Um... This is literally just Artemis uh, Fowl. And I'm just going to read one entry. And again, like, don't try to find this forum and, like, bother these people. <laughs> They're going to do their own thing and make their own mistakes. But um, this person, a person on here wrote uh, in response, they said, I knew an unbound Dulahan. He wore black armor and carried his head in one hand. If he wanted to talk, he'd throw his head into my room through the open window. What? As for the bone whip, it appeared to be made of spinal bones. The edges had been sharpened like blades when he wasn't using it. Not that I ever saw him using it. He wore it around his waist like a belt. He left for a while, then came back, but then he'd been promoted. No longer just a soldier, now he was a captain? No longer carried his head about, but his voice I could still hear. It echoed from where it should be. He had fancy armor and a nice fur cape. Then he left again. I haven't seen him since. Frowny face. (laughs) It's kind of a nice story. This is so much. I just, you know, what I don't know. This is I don't so know much. if this is, I don't know if this is real or if this is like some kind of like in character only like forum. So it could be like, I don't know if it's like, I don't know. So I'm not going to make any judgments on it. I just found it and it was interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's wild. Stuff like this really, um, at the same time that it distresses me, I do also unironically adore it, which is that like, it just kind of plays with the veil of reality in a way that my brain is particularly susceptible to because like this could be people practicing like a form like practicing uh like some kind of faith and 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 i don't want to put any judgment on that but it also could be people just like in some sort of this could be just like an abs like they could be just actively role-playing right now and i do not know this could be a lot or it could be (laughs) 
Yeah. I can't tell. But it also could, but also moments like this always make me feel like the secondary character in like a superhero movie. When you're always looking at the screen and you're like, why won't you believe this person when they tell you that they're, you know, Superman or whatever. And it's like, okay, but if somebody walked up to me right this moment and said, I am an alien with superpowers, would I believe them? And this is just like that moment that I'm having where you're telling me like about this person who's like, oh yeah, I know a Dulhan. And I'm just here like, did they? Do they? Do you? I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't I don't ever want to be the frustrating character in a supernatural movie. Yeah, right? Like, I don't ever want to be the person in, like, one of my favorite... I was re-watching True Blood recently, and I was laughing out loud because there's this thing that happens in supernatural TV shows where, like, a character will learn about a new thing that we didn't previously know about, but they already know mm-hmm. that, like, vampires exist. But then they'll learn yeah. that werewolves exist, and they'll be like, well, that's just crazy. And I'm like, why? Vampires are real. Or they're like, you expect me to believe in ghosts? And I'm like, why? Vampires, werewolves, and fairies are all real in this universe. Why do you not believe in ghosts? <laughs> but I draw the line. And that happens on Supernatural shows all the time. It also happens even on the TV show Supernatural, where the boys literally hunt monsters. One of them will be like, oh, that's just a legend. And I'm like, really? Is it? <laughs> You capture legends all the time. It's your job. That is literally what you do. Or even like, uh, I've referenced this anime on here before. I need to do a full rewatch because I just, I like it a lot. But on Holic, the main character sees ghosts and he'll be told about a creature and he'll be like, that's not real. And I'm like, you see ghosts. Like, he meets, like, a rain spirit one time, and he's shocked that he met a rain spirit. And I'm like, my man, you see ghosts. <laughs> they literally chase you through the street. Yeah. So I just never want to be that person, you know? I never yeah, want to no, take I for granted either. all of the things that do exist in our world and then act like the weird thing that that draws the line for me is <laughs> finding out that Dulahan are on the web forums. <laughs> well, to be fair, they're not on the web forums. They're friends on. They might be. They might be, um, oh, sorry, Val, bleep that. <laughs> I did a swear. Oh, no. On our family-friendly podcast about the Death Rider with no head. Um, so I'm going to wrap us up really quick with just a couple little things from Reddit. Yeah, take us home. Just a couple little things from Reddit. First of all, someone on our Paranormal was asking for people's thoughts about, like, uh, the Headless Horseman. So this one, mm-hmm. I'll just read the post and then a comment that I thought was fun. So the post is, my grandmother grew up and lived in Sleepy Hollow her entire life. Because don't forget, this is a real place. <laughs> She died just shy of 100. She swore up and down that when getting home late one night when she was a preteen, she and her half-sister both saw the headless horseman in the adjacent woods next to their house. She would tell me the story all the time as a child. Her half-sister is still alive, and she too is adamant that they both saw him. I obviously know he was created by Washington Irving for the novel, but I've heard whispers from other people they've seen something strange too. Thoughts? And then a couple people are just like, oh, that's spooky. That's neat. And then one person was like, oh, there's Mm -hmm. one of, there's a variation in Texas. And then I did find another sighting. But first, there's this one. Uh, This person says, there is a story of a headless horseman in Texas. Uh, It says, seems there was a cattle wrestler with quite the bounty on his head. He was captured and beheaded. No one wanted him buried in their cemetery. So they sat the body on his horse's saddle and secured it so it would stay on. They placed his head in a bag and tied it to the saddle, then let the horse run free. As news of his capture and death did not spread quickly, many men were still looking for him and wanted to collect the bounty. Seeing him on his horse riding along, they'd shoot at him, often right in the chest. This did nothing since it was a corpse and word began to spread about El Muerto, the man on the horse that wouldn't die. For years, and still at times today, people on the plains of central West Texas claim to see a headless horseman riding in the moonlight. And now, I will read one more. Um, This is uh, from r slash the truth is here, which is where I find a lot of the sightings that I find. Uh, A lot of people share encounters on this subreddit. Mm -hmm. And this is just called Headless Horseman, with the tag fam, which means it's like a family, a story from a family member as opposed to from yourself. So, uh, This story comes from my cousin, Ralph. It's been about 20 years since I've heard it, so I'll just stick with what I remember. This took place in the 50s in a rural area of eastern Kentucky. At the time, cars still weren't much of a thing there, and it wasn't uncommon for people to ride horses, wagons, or wagons and buggies. So Ralph was walking home from his girlfriend's house and ended up getting a late start, so it was dark by the time he was on his way. He said the moon was so bright you could still see everything fairly well, though. He makes it a fair bit down the road and starts to hear a horse coming toward him from up ahead. He moves over to the side of the road to give it plenty of room, and I assume so he doesn't get run over. It gets closer, 
and he can see that it's a horse pulling a wagon. It gets right next to him, and he can see a figure sitting at the helm of the wagon, and this figure has no head. The torso and shoulders kind of turn toward him, like it was looking at him, you know, minus the head. <laughs> he watched it go on by him and all the way until it was totally out of sight, then ran the rest of the way home, even taking a shortcut through the creek to get there a little faster. Sounds unbelievable, right? Here's the thing. Everyone that knows the story believes him, no exceptions. Ralph is a pretty straight-laced guy and always has been. He doesn't have a sense of humor at all, always very serious and straightforward. He's pretty trustworthy, too, and has never been known to lie or make things up, so everyone believes him about this story, and so do I after hearing it directly from him. So here's my question to all of you. Has anyone else had an experience like this or know someone who has? If not this particular one, then any kind of old legends? And then a bunch of people in the comments are like, hey, uh, Dulahan. And somebody told, mm -hmm. tells him about the Dulahan and he says, interesting, I never knew that. That side of my family happens to be Irish. Interesting. I needed you to hear that, yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> right? Wild. That's fun. It's so fun. So... That is that. I uh, I love it. I'm very delighted by all of that. I have some patrons to thank uh, as we wrap up the episode. Yeah. Some folks of the tier that earns an on-air thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and just fire off names as thank yous. Thank you to all of these people who donate on the tier that requires, or, or that not requires, that gives me the privilege of thanking them on <laughs> that the air. No, <laughs> that earns an on-air thank you. So I would just like to... The tier that shackles us to your name. No, so thank you to Travis. Thank you to Sora, like from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> it says that in their name. Yeah, that's Sora. It's actually no, that It literally Sora. says in their name, Sora, like from oh Kingdom my God. Hearts. Okay, no, I need you to know that... <laughs> you said Sora, like for Pink Hearts, and I said, yes, that's them. And a huge roll of thunder oh, no. off my side of the microphone. Uh, JV, friend of the show. Thank you, JV. JV! Yeah, right? Uh, Sam Price, Trey Burke, Charlie the Cryptid. Whoa. Ryan White, Bobby Banner, Cassie Parker, Ryan Bolter. Ryan! Adam Clark, Brittany Sullivan, Klaatu. I hope I pronounced that right. K-L-A-A-T-U. Jennifer Baudouin, B-E-A-U-D-O-I-N, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Problematic Jane. <laughs> <laughs> that Jane. And Sav Emmett Wolf. Thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you, everybody. That's many names. It's many. We also did not put episodes out for a little bit. And I fell behind on That's these for a little valid. bit. But we're all up to date on those. And thank you, everybody. But they're all here now. Uh, thank you so much to each and every one of you, even more than all the other people that I normally thank. You guys are extra special. <laughs> and I you, like you more. Alex. <laughs> heard of your first folks. You can buy our affection. But uh, thank you just to everyone who supports the show, be that financially mom or from word of mouth or just listening every week. Uh, if you want to uh, boost the show on its streaming platforms, you can give us a rating on iTunes, preferably a good one. If you're going to leave a bad one, then maybe just instead <laughs> write it in your journal. And then, if you're going to leave a bad one, we're actually not on iTunes. Yeah, we're actually not on iTunes. It's weird. Um, uh, if you want to leave a bad review, maybe just write it in your journal and uh, never tell anyone. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, like... Um, uh, five-star ratings and, and reviews do help the show move up in uh, how it gets seen on things like iTunes and on its streaming platforms. Uh, we're also available on Spotify, all that good stuff. Um, then if you want to find us on our socials, I haven't plugged those in a hot minute, uh, you can email us at cryptkeeppod at gmail.com. That's C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-E-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at the same. It's at cryptkeeppod. Again, that's C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. And we're on Facebook under The Cryptid Keeper. Or uh, come hang out in our Facebook group, The Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. And that's all of that good stuff. Also, if you're uh, on our Patreon of the $5 tier or above, you can access our Discord server. It's a fun clubhouse hang zone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not... Also, uh, as always, like to thank uh, Lunar Light Studios, our podcast network, and our home on this big old internet. Check out some of their shows uh, like Ending Pending, Netflix and Kill, Comradical, uh, So Many Bad Romance. Uh, there's so many shows. Look it up. <laughs> I can't remember all of them. My brain will explode. There's so many good shows. <laughs> There are just too many great shows. There's just too much great content at Lunar Light Studios. <laughs> uh, so check that out. Thank you, everybody. And Alex, anything to add? 
I don't think so. Perfect. Just want to make sure I didn't step on anything you had to say. All right. So thank you, friends. As always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. Pretty, witty, and gay.